0: you're using to avoid like the issue it will catch up with you you know and I mean that that um instant gratification or instant comfort or whatever you know is gonna be short-lived and um and you know it's it's only a matter of time before like that runs out before that keeps working yeah you know yeah
1: Hey, sober people and sober adjacent people. Welcome to I Have 12 Questions. I'm Amanda Patton, your host, the leading expert on nothing. However, I am in recovery and I love it so much so that I launched this podcast where we get to talk to people who are trudging the road to happy freaking destiny across all the different ways that people get there. So while this is definitely through the lens of recovery and sobriety, the stories and the themes that we'll be covering are universally Human. So love, loss, grief, excitement, parenting, outside issues, purpose, God stuff, whatever. In the words of the great Ted Lasso by way of Walt Whitman, I wanna be curious, not judgmental. So like I said, we'll be talking to people in recovery. We're gonna be talking to experts and practitioners who help those people along their path in recovery. And we're just really excited to hear people tell their stories and to be inspired by them and to create a community of support for everybody in recovery and people who know and love people who struggle with addiction issues and whatnot. So anyways, we're so glad you're here and thanks for listening. Hey, listeners, just a quick disclaimer before we get into the interview. These episodes may contain adult language and subject matter that's not appropriate for all audiences. Also, we are not doctors or psychiatrists. So what we share on these episodes is certainly not to be considered medical or psychological advice, just our own personal experiences, which we hope will be helpful to others on a similar quest. So that's it. And thanks for listening. Well, hello, I Have twelve Questions community. Our guest today is one that I have just been so excited about. We've known each other for years uh, from being in the same sober circles, and she inspires me so much on so many um different levels. And her name is Monica. And um, she is, she's just a very interesting person all around, but she's a lifelong mariachi musician, former K through 12 and university instructor, and potentially seeking a career out as a substance abuse counselor, but also like looking at other options, um, like a therapist, specialist specializing in addiction recovery. So we'll kind of get more into that in the, in the um, interview, but I would like to welcome you first of all, and just say hello, Monica.
0: Hi, Amanda, thank you so much for having me. Um, And thank you for making a new space since the first couple of uh, times we didn't get uh, connected online, but I'm so, so happy to be here. And I've been looking forward to this um, for a long time as well. And um, it's just um, a pleasure to know you um, in person. And, um, likewise, you've inspired me from day one, uh, since I, I, you know, joined the sober community and I'm just always, uh, grateful for you and, uh, what you've contributed to my sobriety, whether you know it or not. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. I've been excited about this for a while and also nervous about it because we're, we're going to be talking about grieving and me too. <laughs> so not really, you know. It's Friday; it's a beautiful day. I'm not really in the mood to cry and revisit heavy shit. But at the same time, like that is part of our current experience, and and so obviously, you know, that's what's going to um, come up. And then, you know, we had technical difficulties the first time, and something happened the second time, and so this is like third times a charm. Um, but I believe things. Happen when they're supposed to, and, and for whatever reason, this was the time for, for this conversation to happen. Um, and both of us always, you know, are wanting to just hopefully it helps people. That's the main point. Um, so before shit gets heavy, let's start with an icebreaker. Like, if you had a theme song, um, what would it be?
0: Oh, um, I think. anything by eighties Madonna. Like I love the day. I love, uh, you know what? Like any, any type of song that's going to make me happy. Um, Because I think that that's like the power of music in general um, to really stir emotions that we may express or not otherwise. Um, So uh, but there's something about 80s Madonna, I've always loved her, and I've, um, like, if there's any period of music where I thought that she was, like, really on top of it, um, and the music spoke to me in a fun way, in a carefree way, um, that would be it. So, yeah, like, Holiday, Think of Me, um, any of her greatest hits from the 80s, um, and uh, holiday is a good one because I yeah. think that's all about um, you know taking time out from uh, the drudgery of life and um, just saying like let's take a minute to come together and just have fun and be carefree and um, and enjoy ourselves. Remind ourselves that life is to be enjoyed and um, you know as we'll get on in the conversation. I think that, you know, life throws us things where we're like, hey, like, I'm not having fun right now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But we always have to remember that there's a flip side to that too. Yeah, So I love that.
1: Much to my mom's chagrin, Madonna was my, that literal icon of like, that's all I wanna be, is this is all I care about. Her lyrics, the way she dresses, the way she speaks truth to power, the way she, stands up for women and pe- all people really way before her time. And, but that holiday, every time it comes on, there's just like, right when you hear it start, you just feel festive. And it is this reminder of like, you know, oh yeah. Why am I not having fun? <laughs> why am I not trying to see the good in everything?
0: And the yeah. outfit
1: she wore too. when she Oh my gosh,
0: they're the <laughs> best. And I'm <laughs> telling you like 80s Madonna was the best. Like <laughs> the best. So I've had,
1: I have the privilege of knowing parts of your story just because I've sat in the rooms with you, you know, for several years and and heard heard your shares and you were always so raw and so honest. Um, So I know a lot more than our guests do, obviously, but can you kind of share with us just like what prompted your path into sobriety?
0: Sure. Um, And the reason that I wanted to share that I'm a mariachi musician, like, you know, from the start is because um, as wonderful as the mariachi community is and as much joy uh, that the music brings to people and as much fun it is to play it. um, And, uh, you know, so many great friendships come out of it. I mean, I have like one friend that's uh, probably not a musician <laughs> like yeah. from a certain, uh, space and time um, but I uh, there's also like this dark underbelly um, where you know alcoholism and um, drug use is pervasive in the mariachi community and um so um i grew up around mariachi music my dad is a mariachi musician and he had a restaurant that featured his group and so i've been uh around the music but also around like the like the scene the whole scene right um since i was born and um of course like i said there are so many good things about it and Um, I mean, that's why my dad got into it. You know, he's not of Mexican descent. He's of Swedish descent. And um, but there was something so captivating about the music that he decided to dedicate his entire life to it. And, um, you know, my mom uh, was of Mexican descent and loved mariachi music, even though it wasn't like, you know, the popular music, I guess, when she was, you know young or like in her social circles or whatever but she loved it and you know she didn't care if other people liked it that was what she liked and so um I thought that my parents had a really good relationship um because they found like a common ground even if my mom wasn't a musician Mm -hmm. um her love for the music really matched my dad's. Um, And so, like I said, I grew up around the music. I grew up around the whole scene and knew, you know, all of these um, musicians from the time that I was a a little girl. And um, I started learning mariachi music when my dad started a student program um, in Washington state. We moved from Los Angeles um, when I was 10, Uh, My dad sold his restaurant, and he became a bilingual teacher in Washington State. And um, alongside that started a student mariachi. And so that's really where I, you know developed a new appreciation for the group because i mean for the music because i was part of a group and i was making the music right, right and so yeah. um i wasn't just um a spectator anymore a listener anymore i wasn't i didn't have a passive role i had an active role and so anyway by the time uh i graduated from high school i knew that i wanted to become a professional mariachi musician and my dad had never really uh I'm sure, like in retrospect, he really tried to protect me from seeing um, the darker side of the mariachi world as I was growing up. And I now understand his reservations about me becoming a professional mariachi musician because he knew of all the pitfalls and um, kind of dangers that go along with it. And if you don't have a good head on your shoulders and or, you know, you're just more... Uh, susceptible to peer influence and wanting to fit in, which is me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you, you can, I mean, your life can unravel pretty quickly. So um, I was 18 when I moved back to LA and I started college and I started playing with this group. And, um, you know, when I'm new to a circle new to a place I'm pretty reserved. I, I could even say that for when I first went to the, you know, when I first got to the rooms, I didn't want to share, like my palms would sweat. And I was like, I Nobody look, I'm just here to listen. And I remember my spots are really struggled to get me to share in the beginning because <laughs> it was so scary to me. I just don't like to be vulnerable or, um, don't like to be in an unfamiliar space. Um, And so, um, that was the same thing when I first got into the group and I'm around these new people and they're like musicians that I've always, um, admired and respected and I want them to like me and I want them to accept me, um, not only on a musical level, but on a social level, you know, I just kind of saw like what they did and everyone drank and I had never drank before. And so, um, you know, a few months after turning 18, I'm in LA with no parental supervision, kind of dipping my toes into early adulthood and I can do what I want and nobody's gonna know what I'm really up to. Um, and so I started drinking, but I could, I can remember very early on, like, Hey, like I don't drink like everyone else. Like, and it's so weird. Like, you know, it was, Maybe the second time that I drank, that I had my first blackout, mm-hmm. and um, but nobody talked about those things, right? right. And nobody, uh, nobody talked to me about like, hey, like maybe slow down or like, this is how you should drink. And I'm not blaming anyone for not teaching me how to drink. You know, it's just, once I started drinking, it was like, I couldn't stop. And I wanted more and more and more and more. And of course came all the consequences um, that we as alcoholics know, um, spending money that you don't have, or that's allotted for something else. you know, driving on the freeway with one eye open and just, you know, hoping that you make it. Um, And I did so many times. And like I said, that's what everyone else did. So I didn't know that that was like a no-no or, you know, it just wasn't socially unacceptable in my circle. Hey, like I've had a good time. I'm done, like, or the place is closing. I gotta get home and the end. And everyone would just drive home. Um, and I mean, that caught up with me, um, you know, later, um, with a DUI and all of those consequences, but, um, it was just like, um, all the things that I would do and say, like when I was in a blackout and Mm -hmm. I'm talking about like, I mean, I know some people who are like, oh yeah, I blacked out for like a half an hour, but then, you know, I was good. And, No, I would black out for, like, five or six hours thinking I was asleep, and then people tell me the next day, oh, you did this, or you said this, or you got kicked out of here, or whatever. Like, things that I never imagined myself saying or doing, Um, but I had also built a pretty um, solid reputation for myself as a party girl, as a drunk in the mariachi world. And everyone knew me as that. And so all of those things really, like from the get go started eating away at my soul um, because I really felt that I was engaging in a lot of behavior that didn't go along with my innate value system, like the value system or the person that I had known myself to be up until the point that I started drinking. But it was like a vicious cycle because I'm like, well, if everyone already thinks this of me and everyone has already seen me behave this way and thinks and and knows that I'm this or that, I mean, why change things? I mean, people aren't going to change their perceptions of me. So why should I make any effort to even try to change their perceptions? And it was always about someone else, like what everyone else thought about me. And it wasn't like what I think about me. Of course, I felt really ashamed and embarrassed, um, for what I had become, for who I had become. But, um, I wasn't thinking, Hey, maybe I should make a change so that I can feel better about myself so that I can, um, you know, um, show myself that I really am who I thought I was all those years right. before I started drinking. So anyway, um, like I said, it was 18 when I started drinking and I got to 35 and, uh, you know, at that point, I, I mean, I moved to Austin when I was 35. Like I had just turned 35 when I moved to Austin and, um, You know, I didn't have any friends there or, like, any party friends, certainly. Like, if I wanted a party, I'd have to travel at least four or five hours to a different part of Texas um, to meet up with those mariachi friends that I had made, and that's what we did, you know? like And um, so getting to Austin and putting a little bit of distance between myself and, like, the whole party scene um I think was good for me I wasn't drinking as frequently and I was never like uh let me have a beer after work or glass of wine with dinner it was always like drinking is an event it's an occasion and it's friends it's totally social and I wasn't ever like the type to say like let me hit up a bar by myself and see who I meet there and make friends that way so really being in Austin and like I said, kind of isolating myself, um, from that scene, I think was helpful to whether I realized it in the moment or not, uh, to, uh, start reflecting a little more deeply. Right. And saying like, well, okay, is this really how I want to live out my life? And, um, it was a weekend in April that I came back to LA for, um, a celebration, the celebration was on a Thursday, but I made the celebration until Monday, you know, <laughs> like it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, like it's a whole weekend event. And, you know, I missed work at my new job. I had just started at the university. Um that fall semester. And so April, I'm barely into my second semester and here I am like, hey, I'm not gonna make it, you know, on a Monday or um, for whatever responsibilities I had there because um, I was still in LA kind of nursing this moral hangover at LAX, waiting for my flight to get back to Austin and then just deal with like the aftermath. right. And I don't know what it was about that particular time that I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like uh, I was sitting in LAX, you know, with a twice or three three time delayed flight. And I was just looking at everyone and there were families there and couples and, you know, just people living life like a normal Monday afternoon. And I'm here like, sitting in in a chair at the gate, because I don't know what else to do with myself. I walked around and got a sandwich and just, there was just something on my mind and on my heart. And I was like, you know, all these people are living their lives like it's a normal Monday afternoon. And I'm here with, hi, I'm hungover, like, written all over my face, probably, or at least that's how I felt. Yeah. Um, And I've been drunk for the past four days, and I just felt this is really not normal, and this is really not okay. Like, what are you doing with your life, Monica? And I thought of all the things that I had. You know, I had bought a house, and I had a new SUV and I had this great job and I had all of this stuff and like, you know, I've shared everything on the outside looked good, but everything on the inside was a shit show. Yeah. And like a show on repeat and it was like what's it gonna take Monica and you know there was no DUI there was no getting kicked out of anywhere there was no all of these other things no getting into a fight with you know your friends from 20 years or whatever uh, or going home with a stranger or there was none of that like extra chaos that had accompanied so many drunken nights but mm-hmm. It was just like, I cannot do this anymore. And I couldn't shake that feeling. I went to work the next day and I was just like, uh, I want to jump out of my skin. Like, I don't want to be here. Like, I feel like all of my students can see like that I'm a fuck up, That I'm just like this phony baloney. Like, I'm really a drunk and uh, I'm not you know, a respectable professor, and I'm not worthy of even having this job, and I'm not, you know, all of these things, and uh, that was Tuesday, and I went home, and I just, you know, I cried, and, you know, that night, I was lying in my bed, and just yelled out, like, God, if you're real, help me help myself, because I can't do this anymore, and um you know i've always been uh spiritual you know my mom kind of tried to instill some things we weren't a religious family by any means but um i kind of you know always prayed to god like when something was going haywire or i really needed to get out of a gym or you know um give thanks, you know, when everything's going great, but, um, to really like cultivate like an honest, um, you know, relationship with God or to like even seek out a God, like that was never part of my, you know, life story. Yeah. Um, so I was like, if you're real though, like if you're real, real, um, help me. Cause I can't do this anymore. And, um, so I found a women's meeting there in Austin and, that met on Wednesdays. And I was like, there's going to be nothing that stops me from going to that meeting. And let me tell you that I'm the first person to bail on myself. Like, I do not hold myself to any commitments that I make for myself. No. Um, I'm slightly better at... Um, committing to other people, maybe because like, you know, that's embarrassing to leave people hanging. Um, but, um, even that needs work. Um, but like to myself, like I'm always the first to flake out on myself. And so I remember going, driving to that meeting and I was like, maybe I should just turn the car around. Maybe I'm just exaggerating. Like the, this hangover, this moral hangover will wear off and you'll be fine by the weekend. And I was like, no, I told myself that I was going to go and I even got there early. You know, I got there by like six 30 and the meeting started at seven and I was just sitting in the parking lot. Like, okay, like what time should I go in? Like what, you know, and yeah. um, who's going to be on the other side of that door. And I was just so nervous for it, but I, um, can tell you, even with everything that's happened since that first meeting, that that was the best decision that I've ever made for myself in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, and recovery has not been easy. Um, I think that I like when things are new, they're exciting because there's a lot of unknown and what am I gonna learn and who am I gonna see? And, uh, um, oh, okay, I get to read this. I have little assignments and it feels like I'm checking off all these boxes and I'm being productive and I like that. And somebody else is telling me what to do. I don't have to figure it out on my own. There's somebody to hold my hand through the beginning stages of it. Um, As time has gone on, um, that hasn't been the case <laughs> and, uh, um yeah like I remember people sharing like I really didn't want to come to the meeting uh, tonight but I felt that I should because whatever and I was like I would sit there thinking in the beginning why wouldn't they want to come to the meeting this is like the best part of my week and you know I'm so excited for Wednesdays or Fridays or Mondays or whatever and um, yeah like the you know, the novelty wears off and you're like, Oh shit. Like, I really don't want to go. Like I'm tired. (laughs) Suddenly this thing that you had all the time in the world for like becomes this nuisance getting in the way of the rest of your life, you know? Um, and so, I mean, that's regardless of how I feel about, um, working a program and how frequently I make meetings nowadays and how hard I'm working a program right now. Um, I can still say that, you know, that day that I walked into those rooms was the most important, uh, decision that I have ever made in my life. Yeah. Um, no, you know, job acceptance or, you know, choosing coll- whatever college I was going to go to or, you know, what profession I was going to go into or, you know, nothing, 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 nothing. It has been more uh, important and life-saving and life-restoring uh, than um, walking into those rooms. That's and uh, Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'll always be grateful for that first meeting and uh, and I'll always remember it so clearly. Um because I think that it was the first time um I don't know maybe even ever where there was no doubt in my mind that I was in the right place. Yeah. yeah. And you can feel it. You can just yeah, something weird happens and I know I know exactly what you mean something weird and you know like so many people um especially my mariachi friends or colleagues have asked me like how do you do it like how do you stay sober in this space when people are buying us drinks and people are you know there's alcohol all the time yep um and it's just part of almost like part of your job you know to party and I go, you know what, at, at first it was hard, and it wasn't because I was tempted to drink. Like, it didn't ever feel like that. Like, oh, man, like, I wish I could be, you know, I wish that could be me, too. Um, In the beginning, it was just kind of like, I just needed a break from that scene. Like, if the party started getting too party, I'm like, okay, I got to go. Yeah. Now... Um, you know, I stay up with everyone and I hang out with everyone and I don't drink and everyone else does. And I'm just, you know, I'm still having a good time and I'm still enjoying my friends' company. It's also made me realize that, whoa, yeah, nobody drinks the way that I drink because <laughs> whereas. You know, like sometimes these these gatherings go pretty late into the night or pretty early into the next morning, you know, like I'm 4, 5, 6 a.m. and I'm still there, you know, like, hey guys, can I get anyone, anything? And there's nobody who's like in another dimension or on another planet or who doesn't know who they are anymore um, or where they are or what they're saying. And I'm like, oh, shit, like I really had a problem because like, at this point, like I was like unrecognizable, you know, and, um, you know, yeah. in a blackout mean and doing God knows what, you know, but I'm like, yeah, like people don't get drunk like how I used to get drunk so that's been kind of like an interesting like realization through seeing how other people drink and you know they drink a lot but there's no transformation there and I yeah I was a transformer so anyway um but I mean I think that Uh, As I've gone on in sobriety and, like, I've had to deal with some pretty, like, shitty things, um, especially in the last year, year and a half, um, two years, uh, there have been moments where, and I'll be honest, the day before my 40th birthday, which was in July, I was at the restaurant uh, where I work in the little break room and I was like this close I know the listeners can't see my fingers but they're like you know touching I was this close to saying fuck this shit fuck everyone fuck everything fuck my sobriety fuck like I had just had it it was just like so much emotional buildup that I was like the only thing I want right now is a drink and um you know a couple of my friends were there and they're drinkers. I mean, drinkers, but they were like, Monica, like, don't do it. Like you're, you're, you wouldn't be doing it for the right reasons. You're not celebrating anything. It's not for you to just like join in on the fun or whatever. Right. Um, it's yeah. It's what I used alcohol for as an escape. Right. I just right. wanted to see my reality nice. and there And, and I'm really grateful for those friends who, um, even though they're not sober, like they recognize that sober me is better than drunk me. Yeah. And they're like, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't want to do that to yourself. And, um, you know, that, that in the four slightly plus years of sobriety that I have, Um, that was the closest that I've ever come to just being like, you know what, fuck everything. Like, I, I just, I don't care about anything right now, except for not feeling how I do right now. Right. And, um, you know, that was, that was pretty scary. Um, so, um yeah sobriety has peaks and valleys and um you know i i know that i've talked to you about this in in outside conversations that we've had um but um, i didn't at first i didn't know what it meant to be a dry drunk and um you know like you're spiritually drunk and I feel like there have been a series of events or people or whatever that have just sort of come in succession over the last two years that have really led me to be kind of treading that line of like emotional drunk um and you know it's taken me away from my program. I mean, not completely. I mean, it's there. And, yeah. um, and that's why I don't, um, it, you know, it's interesting working a program, uh, and being sober obviously go hand in hand. Right. And I think that we find ourselves in a better place to handle, um, you know, life's challenges, the more in tune we are with a program. But like I said, I think that there have been a lot of things, a lot of moving around um, emotionally, physically, um, spiritually, mentally, um, that have really kept me from engaging like a thousand percent or even, you know, even 50 percent in a program. Over the last couple of years, and it's been a lot of like starts and stops. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel um, like solid enough, like what I just said, you know, that this has been the best decision that I've ever made in my life um, because it's saved my life. Um, And no matter how like my program looks, um or doesn't look um I know that that's temporary but that like the foundation is solid and that I'm not going to um you know it's it's just um something that I can't do like being drunk is something that can never be me ever again because I know what's waiting on the other side of that. I know. And I, and I, and I imagine that with the things that I've gone through as a sober person, if I added alcohol into that, I'd be seeing them from a distorted lens and the shit that would come with that as i realize everything as a drunk um i i don't even know where that i don't even want to know where that would take me yeah you know i just uh Plus rather not know you can't process
1: any of the stuff that's happening when we're drinking like we're literally numbing that whole part of ourselves so all we're doing is delaying the inevitable of eventually having to deal with that trauma or that grief or that resentment or whatever it is. It's not like drinking is going to fix it or make it go away. It just now it's going to fester. And then when we do get back around to addressing it, it's going to be gnarlier than it was. But also I think hearing you talk about the ebbs and flows and the peaks and valleys of your program, you know, isn't that just life? I mean, really it is whether you're in like a relationship or with your career or whatever, like, do you love it all the time and give 100% all the time? Of course not. And in a marriage or your career or whatever, it's like there are days where like, this is the best thing ever. And other days where like, why did I get married? Or why did I take this job? (laughs) You know, like, you can't be on all the time. And we always say progress, not perfection, which sounds great in theory, but I think we're wired to where it's kind of this all or nothing. I'm either fully entrenched in my program or I'm just not working a program. And that really isn't realistic, right? Like we are all some on some spectrum of whatever. And
0: yeah, so like in between. Yeah. Uh, yeah, truly, really, I am a very all or nothing person. I mean, yeah. I... Too. Oh, I, I um, it's not that I don't like that about myself, but I mean, sometimes I don't, you know, sometimes yeah. I wish that I could just do, and it's like for everything, like if I'm not going to uh, put together all the furniture that I've purchased from IKEA together in one day, then I'm not going to put any of it together. And the boxes are just going to sit in the living room until I can do all of it. Well, right. I mean, is that realistic? Like, do you have like 14 hours to <laughs> like, just putting together one shelf after another you know like come on monica but like i feel like that's like the perfect analogy for my life like if i can't do the whole task you know um i'm not like a person that okay let me do a little bit then let me move on to something else and then come back to this other thing um it's like i want to exhaust myself because i need to do like the whole thing yeah. and um, and if I can't do the whole thing, then none of it's going to get done. And I, 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 you know, and it's the same thing like for a program. Like, oh my gosh, like if I can only go to one meeting, like that, you know, then I might as well go to no meetings this week because one isn't good enough. I need to go to at least three. And I don't know where that's like, you know, maybe like past sponsors have recommended, like, hey, I think you should go to at least three meetings because we're here. Um, and it's like, if I can't go or if I can't go to the same one, you know, like, um, like I'm bent on, I need to find a home group and I need to find a sponsor. And if I'm not going to the same one, then I'm not going to get to know the people there and I'm not going to accomplish that other goal, you know, right. It's like, okay, well, maybe right now, um, you just go to a bunch of different meetings and, you know, just sit there and listen and just engage in, something right or just read the daily reflection maybe don't do a 10 step but read the daily reflection right even if you don't write about it but just sit with it or whatever you know um and it's like those are all things that i've been wanting to do and i will do like very sporadically you know um and then it's like well you know three weeks later like let me let me do one other little thing, but it's like, Hey, like low, like lower the bar for yourself, you know? And, um, I, I, I don't, I think that's very hard for people who are all or nothing to do sometimes. And
1: it's one of the reasons I
0: started this podcast
1: because I've just, over the last few years, I mean, I'll have 10 years in December, And like you said, the monotony sets in and you're like, uh, I'm outgrowing certain parts of this program. I need something more expansive. I feel safe here, but I also want to check this out and I want to check that out. But I was like, no, if you step away from this exact recipe, you're totally going to relapse and all this like Mm fear-based, like I have to have four meetings a week. I have to have three sponsors at least sponsees. I have to, you know, and it's like based on what, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what works for me and now that I'm now when you're new, yes, I, that structure was really important for me. I really needed like someone, please tell me what to do. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and at some point I have to stay open-minded enough. And I met all these people who've gotten sober all these different ways and they all do it in all these different, and they, and it works for them. And it may not be the definition of sobriety that AA mandates, but AA is not the only show in town. So like, if you're sober and you're able to show up as a better person, then like, cool, I want to hear about it. And I've been interviewed people from just all these different versions of recovery. And it's it's been really eye-opening and it's given me that to be easy on myself, to give myself permission to like not be so rigid and not be so like all or nothing and all this fear of like, if I don't do it exactly as I was taught, then I'm, I'm doomed, you know, that is not true. That's not true. Right. Yeah. It's a way that our disease, I think it's a way that our disease fucks with us. Right. It's, it's Um, it's a way to keep us out of solution because if I can act on that fear, I'm going to, I'm going to get further and further away from things that are good for me. If I want to isolate, my ass needs to be in a meeting period. Right. And whether it's online or it's a yoga class or I'm on a and a hike with my dogs maybe that's my meeting for the day but whatever it is it's not what I'm doing which is sitting at home thinking about myself and being miserable oh, <laughs> you know. oh my gosh so sometimes well, and- it's in it's yeah. because I feel like we almost get trained early on almost like militant like it's very and it's hard to break away from that um and some people, if they do go away from that, maybe they will relapse. And and I know what my signs are. So if I get too far away and I start feeling all wonky, then I know that I'm I need to get back to what I know works. But that doesn't mean I can't also be experimenting with other expansive
0: things, I guess, right? Does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I mean I have felt like okay, I need a, I, I need to do something, you know? Like I need to go to a meeting or I need to, yeah, something familiar, right? Something that I know will sort of ground me in any, any, form of a program, you know, that I can come up with. And like you said, it doesn't have to be like this AA way. Like what is the AA way? You know, like, and I think that, that maybe it is a little confusing because at the beginning it is so structured and you have somebody telling you exactly what to do and how to do it. Um, and then, you know, as time goes on, you know, like the, the grip sort of eases up and you're yeah. sort of more free to, well, depending on your sponsor, but, uh, <laughs> uh depending on, you know, like, um, uh, you know, what, what continues to unfold. Um, but, um, like sometimes I, I just feel like, oh shoot, like I need to, I I kind of Want like a little bit of that hand holding and somebody yeah. kind of to be cracking yeah. the whip um, on me because I'm not strong enough to, you know, hold this up right now. And I need somebody to be on me. Yeah. Well, what, like,
1: how do you know when you're off the beam? Like, what's one telltale sign when you can tell when you, when, you know, you're, you're, warning light on your dashboard. What is that? What is that for you?
0: Um, I stopped showing up for people like totally. I, I, I know that that's like, it's easy for me to flake on people. It's easy for me to cancel plans. It's easy for me to just stay holed up in my house. My house is a mess. Um, if my house is in disarray, um, and I'm not talking about, you know, a little, you know, threw my purse on the couch or whatever, like, no, if, there's shit everywhere yeah. and the laundry isn't put away, which it's not right now. <laughs> you know, I just keep washing and filling up baskets, but like the baskets never get folded and, you know, put away and stuff like little things like that. My eating is way off. Like, um, I just eat snacks and I don't eat food, you know, or, um, I, Yeah, I just have a hard time taking myself out of my house. You know, when I start to get like holed up in my house, I don't answer the phone, I don't answer texts, I don't, I just disappear. Yeah, yeah, something is way off. But like, um, yeah, just not showing up for people, um, especially when I say that I will. Yeah is, is a big one for me. And, um, that's something that I really tried, especially, you know, earlier on in my, in my sober journey to, to correct, because it's like, Hey, if you commit to something, if you commit to someone, like you've got to show up and it doesn't even have to be someone commit to showing up to a meeting. Right. Right. And, uh, even if it's an online one yeah. and, you know, like these past few months, it's like, I haven't been able to commit to anything. Like, don't make plans with me. Don't ahead of time. Like, don't count on me. Um, you know, I'm just, I just feel really incapable of being there for someone else right now. Like my mind is going in like 50 different directions and it's almost like, um, I don't even have like the capacity to like slow my mind down to just be like, okay, Monica, all you have to do is put your right foot in front of the left foot right now. Right, yeah. You know, Um, and it's been a lot of things, you know. Obviously, um, about a year ago, we got the diagnosis for my mom, um, who had, um, I mean, at the time of diagnosis, we didn't realize that it was that serious, but it ended up being um, stage four cholangiocarcinoma, which is bile duct cancer, um, and, the three most probable causes of it are um, excessive alcohol, um, inactivity, and um, being overweight. And my mom was all three of those. And uh, so, um, I mean, they did what they could. Um, she got the best care, but I mean, she she left us really fast. She was diagnosed at the end of August and um, passed away on December 3rd of 2022 so um i went to mexico where my parents um have a second home they built a second home there and that's where my mom was receiving her care and i went on november 5th which happened to be my dad's 75th birthday and you know it was like bittersweet because you think like oh this is a milestone birthday you know we're gonna have a big party and you know whatever and it was just like I got him like um, a package of those like cupcakes from the the drugstore and uh, put a candle in that and that was our birthday celebration and my mom you know she was bedridden by that point and um, four weeks later she was she was gone um, so definitely um, having to sort of reconcile the diagnosis and then like the speed in which she you know passed away and um and then the aftermath like there have been unprecedented feelings that have come up with that um at the same time um I uh found out that my contract wasn't going to be renewed for um this school year this upcoming, this school year that just started at, um, UT and, uh, uh, and anyway, um, that's like a separate story. And, um, you know, I, there are a lot of reasons where I could have like a lot of resentment and I did, you know, for a little bit of time, but I just kind of let it go. Um, hey, it wasn't for me, but, um, I ended up, um, resigning my position, uh, even before my, um, contract was up because, um, somebody at work was just making my life miserable. And I was like, you know what? My mom just passed away like six weeks ago. I don't need this shit, you know, Yeah, yeah. Like, go take a flying leap. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, that anyway, um, maybe I still have a little resentment over it. I don't know. (laughs) But um, anyway, it's just like the way that things were supposed to work out in the moment. And honestly, like, I know, like my mom is watching over me and I know she had a hand in moving the pieces so that I could come home um, with uh, the timing of the sale of my house and finding out that I wasn't going to work at UT any longer. And, um, you know, the ability to make a move like the one that I did, um, back to California where I had always wanted to be, um, I was always moving for this job or that job or school or whatever. Um, and the opportunity never arose. So I'm just really grateful to be back here. Like I said, I'm living in a smaller space. Um, it's not my house, you know, I'm renting a house. Um, and There are certain things that I don't have that, you know, health insurance, I don't have, you know, um, maybe uh, as much financial stability as I did when I was working at the university or, you know, another teaching job. But I've also come to realize that I don't want to be a teacher. Um, It's it's too much sacrifice. um, uh, Like at the cost of like my sanity, you know, like, do I really feel good? And at peace, like you said, um, not every day we're going to enjoy our job. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but when there's kind of like this feeling of dread, like every day that you go to it, yeah. even if you have a great day, but at the end of the day, you're like, Oh shit. Like I got to do this again tomorrow. Like, Oh okay, like I got through today and it was pretty good, but like, do I really like, am I really excited about this? I never felt that way, um, with teaching. And so I'm like, Hey, like, here's this opportunity, this kind of window for me to just chill and get back into the music that I love. Um, and, uh, you know, build my own musical skills, um, but also, like, have, um, like, the time and space to figure out what my next career move is going to be. Yeah. And it's going to be, like, something that I decide, like, 100% on my own, yeah. not something that's sort of been chosen for me or, like, hey, you should, or suggested, you know, like, yeah. you should do this. Um, no, like, now it's, like, I get to choose. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, from like, and then of course, like, like I said, unprecedented feelings. I mean, that was like my job, um, dealing like with the loss of my mom, but also, um, dealing with like how my dad is dealing with all of this, which is kind of like not dealing with it. And, um, you know, seeking companionship in another woman like you know a couple months after my mom passed away and that's been like a huge pill for me to swallow um because I'm like you guys were together for 50 years your entire adult lives um and like I get it like you don't want to be alone I don't want you to feel lonely or unhappy but hey like yeah you lost your partner but like that's also my mom and like I feel like there wasn't a, a period of like um, respect for that loss and that space um, yeah. before my dad started engaging in a relationship with someone else. And so talk about like, resentment um and not knowing what to do with those feelings and then of course like my own personal relationships you know like I have a healthy pattern of uh, (laughs) of engaging with emotionally unavailable people what Uh, (laughs) oh my god (laughs) and yeah and uh people that like uh, demand that their needs be met, but have no regards for what my needs and wants are mm-hmm. in a relationship. And, um, you know, like I spend a lot of time and energy, um, trying to convince people of my worth and like why they should want to be with me. And I have no boundaries. And I mean, that's something that I was working on like a little bit with, uh, my therapist over, you know, the past, uh, two years that I was working with her before I moved back to California, but it's like, um, also realizing that I feel like I don't have boundaries because people are just going to do whatever they want anyway. And so it's easier for me to accept their unacceptable behavior. Um, And uh, make sure they're still there uh, than to put up a boundary and risk losing them. And that goes for my dad, you know, and I, you know, I, at first I went really hard with him too. And I'm like, how could you be doing this? And blah, 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 you know, and uh, I really flew off the handle over that one. Um, And, you know, he's just going to do what he's going to do anyway, and I'm like, okay, so if I have, if I want to have a a relationship with my dad, you know, and I want to keep him in my life, like then I've got to lower that boundary or, um, just be the first one to be in acceptance over his feelings and, you know, put mine secondary. And I I feel like that's what I do in, um, you know, romantic relationships as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been in this situation that's been off and on, off and on, off and on, um, for over two years. And it's like, I feel like I muster up like enough strength and courage to walk away from it all. And then like, I relent again. Um, and it's a lot of that. I I know it's all based in fear, Mm -hmm. like, but if I don't have, it's, it's fear of the pain that's going to accompany that kind of loss that I don't want to feel because I know that I feel it hard with all relationships that come to an end. Um, it's the fear that, oh my gosh, like time is running out. Like, am I ever going to find like my person? And I've been, you know, single for a really, really, really long time and I know that I'm okay by my by myself yeah. and I do well and I actually thrive and I feel good and um but I also know that there's a big void there mm-hmm. that I'm trying to fill and so um because um because of that void I, I think I just tend to f- fill it up with whatever you know and um and yeah like accept the unacceptable and like i've really been reflecting on it um lately like for a long time (gasps) i've known like oh sorry that this is not what i want um (laughs) stop (laughs) (laughs) yeah i they i think they heard something at the front door outside um there's somebody raking outside anyway um for you know i've uh i don't want the situation that i'm in to be a forever situation yeah um it's not it's not good for me you know yeah. and i know that that's as if it hasn't been hard enough that's also been a contributing factor of me shutting down yeah. because it's like um hey like this relationship whatever it is is like um and it's been like that with all of my relationships you know yeah um since the very first one you know um it's like an addiction you know and um and so like i recognize a lot of my drunk self uh and a lot of behaviors that i exhibit um, when I'm not sober, they've kind of come up, um, mm-hmm. now, you know, in, and manifest themselves in the same way around a different situation. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Like
1: That's what the step work is for. That's what the mm-hmm. nightly, it's all, I mean, it's not going to fix us or, or whatever, but it will, it will illuminate patterns. So that. Totally so that we can make different choices but unfortunately just like addiction to chemicals like unfortunately that that misery because it's familiar feels comfortable and that's right. just so weird but you know and then eventually we do get sick and tired of being sick and tired so we stop doing that we go try this other thing and then we're like god I should have done this sooner right but the the transition to that new thing is the most terrifying, um, because of all the fear and also the lack of control. Because like we we get taught over and over, you cannot control people, places, and things. What that person's doing is none of your business. Focus on your own program. Focus on your own shit. Like handle your own business. But it's hard to do because if I'm if I'm gonna open myself up and i have no control over this person's behavior that means that i can get hurt i'm i am vulnerable and that is not a fun place to be and so you know or going back to relationships with parents and seeking that validation or love or approval that we didn't maybe we didn't feel like we got at certain parts of our childhood now we're trying to fulfill that later and you know i don't know about you but like losing my pop because we were going through all of that at literally at the same time you and i with mm-hmm. our, you with your mom and me with my dad. And um, Paige reached out and was like, hey, can you reach out to Monica? Like she's going through something similar. And I remember my first reaction was like, the last thing I wanna be doing right now is helping anyone else because I can barely get up and work and do whatever. Cause we were back and forth to hospitals and hospice and this, and it was all starting to, it turned and it was, it was the worst, most, panicky scary sad painstaking thing I've ever experienced and I hope I never but when I talked to you because I think I was driving back from somewhere and we talked on the phone Mm -hmm. and I just was like I felt so peaceful because I was like this person is going through the same thing and we're sober and we're trying to do it without any anesthesia and like there aren't a lot of people who understand and You know, not to speak for you, but like I know that you and your mom had, you know, sometimes a complicated relationship. I had a very complicated relationship with my dad, which makes it very confusing. And in that process and since he died, my whole entire childhood has been laid out on a table in front of me. And things that I thought I dealt with in therapy years ago are now front and center again. And it's not wow. gonna make me drink and it's not gonna ruin my life, but it,
0: it is gonna hurt, <laughs> like. Yeah, I totally relate to that, um, you know. I mean, even just like with the diagnosis, I think yeah. I told you, like my brain and my heart were like split in two because on the one hand, I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, whatever resentments I had, like those are out the window. I just want my mom to be okay. Yes, it's like, I, I just, you know. Please let her be okay. And then on the other side, I was like, hey, like if one of the main things of this is alcohol, like, you know, like I've always had this underlying resentment of my mom's alcohol use, even when since I was a little kid. Because I saw what it did to her and I saw mm-hmm. how it changed her. I saw how it changed her behavior with me. I saw how it changed her behavior with my dad. And there were a lot of scary moments for a kid um, yeah. seeing that, you know. And I don't I don't ever think she realized like, that it was like that bad, you know. I mean, we don't. You know, when we're in it, we don't. You we don't. don't like I was telling you, like, when I, you know, when I stay up with my friends now, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I really had a problem, you know. We don't realize it when we're in it it takes time and space and uh, interacting with other people who have the same issues and um, reading and, you know, all the things that we get to do yeah. as, as workers of the program, um, you know, the, but yeah, like I, I was like so fucking pissed and I was like see I told you I told you I told you like why couldn't you just like um you know why couldn't you give it up like why why were you always like so like why were you always too proud to take a suggestion that maybe you should do this or maybe hey not not even maybe you should but it was like hey, do you want to come with me? Like, just so you could see what it is and, like, what I'm involved in. And it was always, like, no, no, no. And that was for everything. Like, if somebody else suggested it to my mom or recommended or, like, whatever, invited, it was a big fat no because in her mind you were trying to control her, you know? and. And so, like, all of those things, like, sometimes I'm just, like, here in the house, you know, like, doing something, and, like, this memory will pop up, you know, like, well, remember when your mom did this, you know? And it's like, of course, I would give anything to have my mom here today, but it's just like you said, like, your entire childhood is laid out in front of you, and you're like, oh, shit, well, I forgot about that, but I guess here we are again, and... Um, there have been, um, there have been, you know, moments where, uh, yeah, like it's weird because I remember my therapist said, like, when I, you know, when I was talking about, um, how my dad was behaving while my mom was still sick and, you know, how I was just here with my mom and, you know, like my mom was everything and, you know, all I want to do is take care of her and, you know, be there for her. And I I was. But then my dad was over here doing his thing that was bothering me, you know, because he wasn't present at all, you know. And then after, he was just like, his solution was to not think about it, you know. And I'm like, what? Like, I need you to just can you just be a little human right now? Like, I can't, I can't right now. And um, can you show some emotion, you know? Like, are you there? Like, please tell me you're not dead inside is kind of how I felt. Yeah. And um, so my therapist was like, well, you know, like you spent all of these years resenting your mom that like, you didn't have time to resent your dad. And now (laughs) <laughs> that your mom is sort of, like, removed from the equation. Now all these resentments towards your dad can pop up. And it's like, yeah, since my mom's passing, like, I've never had more resentments towards my dad than than I do now. Like, I, in my eyes and in my heart and in my mind, like, my dad could do no wrong, you know? Like, I mean, right. he was, like, more easily forgiven than my mom was, but... Um, because those resentments were like multi-level you know like mm-hmm. let's take alcohol out of the equation let's take this or let's take you know go to therapy or something you know right, right and i seem to have all the answers you know and it's like no i don't have like i'm no one i'm no one like to say this is what you should or shouldn't do um and so like All of these thoughts have been like swirling around in my head. And I feel grateful for the program and everything that I have learned thus far from other people in the program. Um, Because at least it gives me a little bit of self-awareness. Yeah. Doesn't mean that I can't like have these arrogant thoughts or, you know, arrogant suggestions unsolicited you know give unsolicited advice or suggestions to people um doesn't mean like that might not happen you know (laughs) but um it certainly does at least give me self-awareness like oh shoot like let me pause like maybe I need to apologize to them because they didn't ask for that or you know what like just because this is the answer for you doesn't mean it's gonna be the answer for them. And you can't do that. It, right. It's it comes back to that issue of control and uh, and expectations and
1: and well, matching matching calamity with serenity is in direct proportion to how well we're managing expectations. But like also for me, when you're talking about your parents, it's like you come from this example of of not feeling, right? she drank, he avoids. And, you know, and so, and me too, me too. I look at my pop's patterns and I look at my mom's patterns. I look at our familial patterns in, t- in terms of how we deal with emotion and we don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's how we deal with emotions. We fucking don't do it. And when we start working a program, we, we get lucky because we have all these new tools and we have this, this program and this fellowship and we feel really lucky. And then I start assuming well, you guys all need to do what I did so that y'all can be healthy like me. (laughs) That's totally what I do. And I I hear myself doing it in my head sometimes. I used to say it out loud and now I don't. I'll I'll still think it sometimes, but I'm like, that's not your, they don't, they're not working a program. It's your program, like mind your own business, like whatever. But also you've got to have boundaries in place to protect from that. Because if I am trying to be be healthier and my reactions and other people are staying where they are, it's their choice to stay where they are. But like, I need to be really careful with, but otherwise it's just like, I'm a big ball of, of resentment. But I look back at, you know, my pop and even at the very end, and he was just so stoic and, and it it just, it's like, it all came full circle of like, this is where I learned all this from, you know, and you getting to kind of watch your dad, just, he's just going to move on to avoid or to numb, um, which is kind of, you know, what, We all do it. It just looks different on other people, right? Other people pick other stuff and we're like, how dare you? But then really it's no different than what we did. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just manifesting in a person for him, you know? And so, I don't know, it's like 552 or that whole thing of like, you know, it's hard. At the end of the day, I just want everyone to do things the way I do so that I can be comfortable.
0: Exactly. That's what I want. Like, yeah. Like, and it's like what the big book says at the beginning, you know, if everyone just did things my way, you know, like everyone would be happy. Everyone would be like their house would be in order, you know, figuratively and literally like, you know, yeah. why don't they get it <laughs> that I have all the answers. And that is, um, you know, I, th- well, that's like a big point in, um, you know, in a lot of my um, social relationships where I'm like, hey, like, because I do recognize myself in several people that I still hang out with, you know, like, you know, like maybe you want to try this, like, you know, or, or I mean, I really um, and I think that there's some kind of like weird connection because I see so much of myself in them, but I'm living it from the other side now. And I so want them to have what I have, you know, or what, you know, I want them to unlock the secret that I unlocked because their life will be a 100 percent better. Yeah. You know, even if it's all shitty, you know, like I'm not saying that like a better life means, you know, all, you know, everything's awesome and like no problems. Like our problems don't go away just because we stopped drinking. Um, those are still there. Um, and they're deep. But it's it's not as hard to deal with them. Yeah uh as if you know i mean throwing gasoline on a fire you know like yeah. it's just that's oh, literally like what we were doing so anyway i i you know i when i start doing that a lot like i get really embarrassed because i'm like oh shoot like yeah, yeah you just Monica like nobody wants to hear it nobody asked you like just live and let live right yeah. um and, it's also, and um, it's also like
1: that you spot it you got it sometimes of like you're you're picking up on all these these things and other people and sometimes it's something that maybe i need to look at inside myself but it's easier to mm-hmm. look at it other people than it is to deal with you know what's going on with me but also somebody uh reminded me of this like analogy of you know that parable of some guys was seeing a caterpillar struggle to get out of the cocoon and so he snips it with scissors to help it out, you know, and then it, it, you know, it died, its wings atrophied and they're in the cocoon for so long struggling and and the, they're building their strength in their wings so that when they do emerge naturally after a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of goop and messy shit that goes on inside the cocoon, they're able to fly and they have strong wings and everything. If somebody comes and helps, so if you step in and help someone, Mm-hmm. That's not their journey. They're on their journey for a reason. They're struggling for a reason. They're making bad decisions for a reason because for whatever reason that's that's their thing. And like when they're ready, and I have to remember that too, I want to swoop in and, and save people, like you even have the ability
0: I wanna save all the people well not all the people, but <laughs> most people and all the dogs. <laughs> Yeah. And when
1: people would try to come and help me or save me when I was in the shit, like I wasn't ready and I needed to go through what I needed to go through until I was ready. and That's it. And like, I need to remember that people trust me. I have people remind me all the time, like you're putting more work into that girl's program than she is. She's not ready. You need to let her go. And I'm like, no, but, but I guess that's the thing is just, it's so hard, especially when we're in recovery because we do have the awareness we know, we can't pretend we don't know. Like we know, we see it. I, I know when I'm doing it. And so I guess I I want to end on a positive note because mm-hmm. um, you shared so many things and it's just so similar and it's, it's honest. And that's what I always loved about your shares was that you were always honest. You never came in and pretended like everything was perfect, but you were still grateful. Even when you were going through hard stuff, you were still grateful. So there was that, the realness and i used to hate it when people would act like it's just such a cakewalk once you get sober because that you know not only are your problems still there it's it's actually a little bit harder because you can't numb and you can't run away now you're actually going yes. to have to <laughs> feel it at all but you were always so honest about everything and you never tried to act like you had it all together you were just you showed up as yourself whatever that was going on that day with you and to me that's what we all need to be um, doing. But I guess my last, I want to hear what gives you hope because it sounds like you're kind of coming out of like, you know, a dark place, me too. Um, And I went through some moments in the past year, past few months on and off where I really didn't have any hope. And I, my old nihilist, uh, what's the point just A lot of that old stuff started permeating and I got kind of scared because I was like, I don't want to live like, I don't want to live with this old brain. Um, But what gives you hope, you know, as you're coming out of this kind of dark place with succession of bullshit events, you know?
0: Yeah, I think what keeps my hope alive is that I've been through hard things and I've always come out on the other end. And so even when I'm like in the midst of like the most, I mean, just like walking in, you know, three inches of shit, you know, like I know that I'm not always going to be walking here. Right? right? If I keep walking, I'm going to eventually step on grass or I'm going to eventually step on, Concrete, like something else, like something is going to change because that's what every, I mean, that's what life is. Everything is temporary, you know? And I, I learned that. I learned that a long time ago. Um, and I've, I don't know, like, I've just never forgotten it. You know, like I've been through, um, bad breakups. And, you know, like, and I've been through moving and not having any friends and, you know, feeling very vulnerable uh, throughout my life. And, um, you know, just being on my own as an only child and leaving, you know, my my parents' house and not knowing what life was going to be like after that and taking a risk by accepting this job or going here or there or whatever. Like, and all of those moments have had their hardships, right? Like, and, and some uglier than others. And of course losing my mom now. Right. And I remember I used to imagine like, oh my gosh, like if my parent, you know, when my parents passed away and this is like when I was still drinking, like, I'm just going to be a fucking mess. I'm just going to be wasted. And I'm, you know, like maybe I'll just like, drink myself away after I lose my parents like I just like I felt like I wasn't going to be able to handle it and I even remember saying when I was in high school like I hope I die before my parents because I'm not going to be able to like handle like their loss and somebody said like I said that out loud and somebody was like well what about your parents they're going to be so sad without you you know and um and everyone else and I I was just like no like I just never imagined like that I would be able to handle a loss like that because as complicated as my relationship is with both my parents like we've been we've always been very close to each other and we're slightly codependent you know like I don't know but um (laughs) but um you know, like going through this and yeah, there are times where I just out of nowhere, I'll remember something and I just start crying, you know, and I start talking to my mom, I'm like, hey, ma, like, how are you doing? And I know she's around, she's here. And, um, but as hard as that was, um, having to say goodbye to my mom and being there, you know, with her holding her hand until her last breath and, you know, just everything that came after that, um, like, I don't know, like, I feel like it can't get much lower than that, you know, but here I am, I'm talking to you today and, you know, I'm slowly, but surely, you know, making, um, you know, making moves in my life and, um, you know, always with the intent to, um, be at peace with myself first and then, that you know if 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 she's looking down on me you know like and, and proud of what I'm doing like great you know like but the thing is that yeah like how I felt on December 3rd and how I felt on December 23rd and how I felt on February 3rd or whatever you know like all of those feelings like have changed into something else. Right. And so like, that's really what keeps me hopeful that nothing, I mean, unfortunately, you know, the good isn't always going to be good, but the bad isn't always going to be bad either. If we just remember that, especially like, I mean, even when I have my head in my hands and I'm like, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Like it's only temporary. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. You know? And, um, you told me something, um, you know, it's already okay. And I actually got that tattooed on my arm. Oh my um, God. <laughs> Cause I remembered that I was like, my friend Amanda told me this, you know, like it's already okay. It is already okay. And when I feel hopeless, I remember that it's already okay. That's so, so crazy. crazy. Oh yeah. But, but so. it. it- that's how
1: I do too, is just, you know, give it some time because how you feel today is gonna change and be different. And like, whether it's in an alternative parallel universe or it's in some other, whatever it is, it's already okay somewhere else in the future. Like this isn't gonna be as big a deal as it is right now. And like your grief is gonna turn into gratitude. Or for me, when I watched, when I, I don't wanna cry but when, you know, I was in the room when he um, died and I remember having this moment of like, how stupid things are that we worry about. Like watching someone leave the earth, it's like, God, the shit Mm -hmm. that I let get to me on a daily basis that have literally no significance whatsoever that's such a grand scale to watch someone's life end, someone that you love. Um, it, it, really, really reset my perspective.
0: Oh, totally. Um, and I mean, we can take that as like a gift, right? Yeah. Because not everyone knows that right now, but we know that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. like, how stupid so many things or how trivial so many things are in life. And, um, yeah.
1: And even, even our differences that I, you know, my differences that I had with my pop or like issues that we had in our relationship and all that and, and having resentment for, them for a lot of my younger years. But, but then later as I was an adult and a parent and all these things, understanding, like none of that ever... From a place of malice. He just had maladaptive coping skills. And I know it's cliche, like, oh, they did the best they could with what they had. But like, it's true. And the compassion and the tenderness that you feel and you feel all that resentment melt away and when old memories come up. But like the times we didn't speak to each other or we we would were both so damn stubborn that we, you know, that was that was wasted time that I wish I could get back now. And so now I'm in a beef with somebody that I, love. I remember that I'm like, don't do that don't, don't let your ego steal this mm-hmm. time, from you know, right. And so I hope I can continue to integrate that lesson. We'll see. I mean, my ego is pretty. Yeah. pretty
0: <laughs> I know. Well, I'm, i you know, I've, uh, I've mm-hmm. discovered that I'm more ego than I would like to admit. <laughs> you know? Like, Hey, like I need to tone it down, you know, like, um, and even if I don't like outright express you know, certain things, but I'm like, yeah, like, no, nah, I've got a healthy ego, maybe too healthy. And, you know, like, um, maybe it's time for me to do some work to cut myself down to size because, um, yeah, I don't want to be that guy, you know, no. like, um, I don't want to be that guy that, that doesn't show up or that isn't like available for other people and to be of service, to be of use in the world. Right. Right um and you know nursing my my self-pity um isn't gonna do anyone any good no. I mean I doing see, with myself
1: would you rather be right or would you rather be happy we hear that a lot in the rooms and I'm always like no, obviously uh you know but if I have to choose right I there's maturity this this humility that you I guess get over time is just like you know, even with my, you know, my brothers or my mom or whoever, my daughter, like it's like it's not worth the beef, whatever it is. Even if exactly. I think I'm right, it doesn't what matters is that this relationship stays intact and that I keep my side of the street clean. I own an apology, I make it. And what they choose to do with it is not up to me. Um, because when I'm on my deathbed or when I'm with my mom as she's transitioning or whatever, I don't want to have those feelings of regret like I did with my dad. Yeah. You know? So like, I hope I can stay true to that. And like you said, just be useful while I still, um, can, you know, and I try to break cycles, try to break the cycle in our family of like refusing to deal with emotions yes that's it totally which is hard totally. it's hard it's so much more comfortable to just like not deal with it Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but we know we're-
0: <laughs> <laughs> eventually it's gonna catch up with you with whatever it is you know yeah. whatever you're using to avoid like the issue it will catch up with you you know and i mean that that um instant gratification or instant comfort or whatever, you know, is going to be short lived. And, um, and you know, it's, it's only a matter of time before like that runs out before that keeps working, Yeah, you know? And, And then you're like, Oh, like you said, I should have done this ages ago, but
1: yeah. But it's scary. It's scary. And we get to be afraid and we we get to. And that's the cool thing about, I think, the program or having somebody you can call and bounce stuff off of is just like, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, this is scary, but you're not alone. Here are some people who have successfully made that transition and I'll be right here with you when you're doing it. And if you fail, then like, so what? We'll just try again. It's not the end of the world, you know. Totally. Well, I cannot thank you enough for your time and sharing your heart and your story. I know it's not easy to talk about, so thank you so much.
0: No, thank you for having me. And, um, this was, um, a really great experience to just get to talk to you and, um, you know, share, share our ideas, um, around so many different topics. Um, and, um, like my Friday is off to a great start. So earlier It's <laughs>
1: oh, yes, early in California, earlier than it is here. Well, yeah. I, I really miss seeing you and I'm just so likewise. proud. I'm so proud of you and so uh, happy likewise. for you, inspired by you and all of those things.
0: Likewise, likewise. You're my OGAA celebrity. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> forever, forever.